Episode 26 of the Greenlight Podcast, of course, we're going to talk about uh, some notable number 26s, me and my co-host Megan Gunner, uh, as well as some Super Bowl analysis, an update on my Twitter usage, uh, and then we're going to draft the field uh, defensively Sunday, uh, all the players playing defense in the Super Bowl, we're going to draft them, we did the offense last pod, and we're going to see how our teams stack up, uh, spoiler alert, mine will be better, uh, and of course the Terribly tragic news uh, that we received last weekend uh, involving Kobe Bryant's death, along with the eight others that lost their lives uh, in the helicopter crash uh, this past weekend, including his daughter, Gianna. So um, a lot to cover, uh, and we'll get to it in a moment. This is episode 26 of the Greenlight Podcast, and uh, this is my co-host, Megan Gunner. Uh, and this is not the way we, we like starting a podcast. Usually it's a lot of fun. This just, this just fucking sucks. Um, you know, the Kobe Bryant news, everybody's familiar with, uh, with the tragedy that struck this weekend uh, as his helicopter went down, um, along with Kobe, lost eight other lives, including... Um, you know, Gianna, his daughter, I believe his 13-year-old daughter, um, and a number of friends and teammates of his daughters. They were headed to um, a game that Kobe was going to coach in and Gianna was going to play in, um, and they crashed in Calabasas. So nine people lost their lives. I, I, I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle here as we talk about Kobe. Of course, the outpouring of grief and mourning for one of the game's greatest players of all time uh, is very appropriate. There were also a lot of other people on that helicopter. Um, and I think this is just the way things go. Uh, when somebody like Kobe Bryant dies, uh, whether that's at the age of 75 or 80, um, living a quote unquote full life, or tragically and unexpectedly at the age of 41, it's jarring. And especially jarring in, in, in this manner. It seems so random, so terrible, um, so unpredictable. Um, he's a guy that rode his helicopter to practice every day for a period of, what? I mean, it's been well over a decade probably, right? He's been, you know, riding a very safe helicopter uh, to and from work. And, you know, the worst part about this thing is reading all the, it's not foreshadowing, but some of the interviews that are like, well, I did it so I could be with my kids more. You know, I, I, I did this because I didn't want to sit in traffic all day. I wanted to go to practice and be able to get back and be in carpool and pick my kids up. And to think that, you know, not only did Kobe lose his life and leave behind uh, four or three daughters uh, and, and, and his, his wife, Vanessa, um, but that one of his daughters was on the, um, the helicopter with him. It's unthinkable. Uh, and, you know, somebody like Kobe, uh, when this happened, it's not like I was a Kobe fanatic. I always respected Kobe, loved to watch him play basketball, hated the Lakers. He used to torment me. I was a Knicks fan, so it's not like I ever had a dog in the fight when it came to important games, but the Lakers were kind of that front-running team, so I was often rooting against Kobe, but at the end of the day, you always respected the way he played the game, and um, you couldn't help it. And then. 
you know, getting a chance to meet Kobe. I mean, all week I've seen Instagram and social media light up with personal accounts of my meeting with Kobe. You know, this was the picture I took with him. This is how he was. And all these pictures, he's smiling. He's evidently, by all accounts, engaging in every situation. Um, He's curious. He's asking people questions. That's the common thread here. Uh, And I had no different an experience when I met Kobe. I mean, he's an Eagles fan. He's from Philly, Lower Marion. Um, He, during our Super Bowl run, was, like, very supportive of our team, you know, watching the games. There's viral videos of him reacting to us winning the Super Bowl. He visited our team uh, when we played, um, I believe it was the the Chargers or the Rams. We were staying in, like, uh, Orange County, and he drove out and talked to our team for an hour. Um, Q&A type thing. Uh, Very engaging. Again, could have come in and just half-assed it. Really spoke to every guy in the room. I mean, it was one of those things. You You can tell when somebody's there just to pass the time or whatever. And then stayed afterwards, and guys were getting pictures with him and talking to him. And you have to understand, it's, it's this is this generation's Jordan. So, like a twenty-three-year-old kid, um, kind of the thing where you go down the list and you talk about '90s music, and most kids are like, "Who the fuck is Outkast? Who's, you know, this act, this musical act that I grew up on as, as a thirty-four-year-old? These twenty-something-year-old kids, they grew up on Kobe. It wasn't Jordan, and of course, Kobe's been the closest thing to Jordan." in an, almost an eerie way when you watch him on the, the court, his mannerisms and, and such. And of course that was very intentional because he looked up to Jordan a lot. And um, so these kids, you know, these younger players, I mean, this was like meeting, you know, the Pope or somebody. This is, this is, this is as, as, as big as it gets in the sports world. And I saw him take the time, take pictures with everybody, again, engaging, not a big time guy. I didn't take a picture because I didn't want to bother him. Um, but I'd get to him, ask a question or two, and and uh, that was a special, cool day. Because anybody who's ascended to that level, um, and I'm, anybody can be good. You just have to be born with the skills to be good. And I think what separated Kobe was his mentality. That's been so famed, the Mamba mentality. And now everybody's going to go apply it to their their lives. Um, but I don't think with him it was just like a flip in the switch, and I'm going to have the Mamba mentality. I think that was a way of life for him, and it was a it became part of his personality um, and his relentlessly competitive nature, which sometimes bled into disagreements with teammates. And, you know, he could be abrasive on the court, I know. But I think that's how you have to be if you want to be the best of all time. And that's what he intended on being. And there are a number of guys you can put in that conversation. He's always going to be in the conversation. Um, but yeah, I, for guys that met him that day, it was very special. And so for me, when I got the news Sunday, I think it's going to be one of those things that I'll always remember where I was. I was, uh, I was in my bedroom packing up for this week a little bit ahead of time for the Super Bowl, and I opened up Instagram, and I saw one of the first, the first reports um, that a lot of the comments, because first when I see the TMZ reported screenshot, screenshot it, I'd, I'd heard before that different individuals and celebrities had passed away, and I'm thinking, oh, it's got to be fake. There's no way. My, my stomach just, my heart sank. And, um, and I'm, not a Laker, I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm not one of these Kobe fanatics. But it just, it, it just for whatever reason, inexplicably, this, this bothered me a lot. And um, I think as I watched the reports unfold through the day, 
And of course it was confirmed and then hearing that it might be all his daughters on board and you're just, you're crushed. And then it's, you know, one of his daughters, um, you're hearing more reports about who was on. It was just the most unsettling day. I mean, I was very unsettled. And you know, there's been other untimely deaths in sports and you know, you, I was thinking back, Junior Seau obviously, Reggie White, um, Derek Thomas, Dale Earnhardt, uh, Sean Taylor. Those were some that I remember and like, I'll always remember when Reggie White died, when I got the news, I was in, in Boise, Idaho. I remember exactly what I was doing. I was playing, uh, we, were, we were playing in the Music City Bowl. Um, not the Music City Bowl, it, easy to forget the Boise Bowl. Yeah. Boise Bowl. What yeah. was it? What uh, was it Micron, Micron PC Computers. That would have been Florida. One of those computer bowls. It wasn't a great bowl, but we did have a, a little makeshift arcade in our, in our hotel, um, and I was playing Hydro Thunder, if you remember that game. It was the, the speedboat game, and I'm going over jumps, and all of a sudden somebody said, oh, Reggie White died, and uh, I'll never forget where I was. It was one of those things because that was a guy that transcended football, and Kobe transcended basketball the same way. You know, Dale Earnhardt, I remember where I was. Uh, I remember the exact room I was in. I can see it. I can hear it. The news on the TV. Um, Sean Taylor. But this was like, this felt more comprehensively covered and like comprehensively more than any thing I've seen before. And it's easy to forget as an American that this is a global star. Basketball is the biggest global game when it comes like football you know we try to play in other countries um soccer's huge but soccer's not that big in america so being an american and seeing one of our biggest sports losing its one of its biggest legends who was just starting to live his life after basketball and had so much promise i mean he was doing a lot off the court um he was a humanitarian now after after basketball um he was doing international stuff and basketball being big in China and, and Europe and Italy where he spent a lot of time. Um, you know, that's I think what I was taking for granted. And you know, everybody was like timelines, Twitter, Instagram, um, the news, every channel. I mean, there's real shit going on around the world, like real globally impactful stuff. And Kobe is dominating the coverage because I, I don't think, I just don't think we, we think these superheroes are supposed to die. I mean, they're, they're not supposed to die like this. I don't know, I, how did you feel when you heard it? Yeah, you did meet him. I think some people think it's, it's funny to mourn someone you've never met. But, but I didn't know him. But the reality is Kobe was a part of our lives for 20 plus years. Um, for you and me as sports fans, he has been omnipresent since we were 10 years old. Yeah. So I, I, I think he's one of relatively few people um, that we've seen on a regular basis for more than two decades. And losing someone like that is akin to losing a part of our childhood, our college years, our 20s, and reminds us of our own mortality. There was a tweet that was shared widely in the wake of David Bowie's death that was, uh, someone had said, we're not sad because we knew him, we're sad because he helped us know ourselves. And if you were a Kobe fan, you wanted to work hard to be like him. If you weren't, you wanted to work hard to be like 
Mike or mm-hmm. LeBron or simply not Kobe, but he motivated so many people. You didn't need to be a teammate or an opponent. You could be a stranger. You could be someone who he he never never physically touched your life. Um, but that work ethic, that can't be denied. That mentality that you talked about, I mean, he just had a fire that clearly burned so hot. And um, winning was above all else, it seemed, for him. And with that comes this invincibility. I mean, we've heard that a lot, that you just, you can't imagine that he could ever not be around. And that's, and I think that's the thing with athletes. I mean, we've heard of musicians dying early, um, you know, actors, actresses, you know, tragic stuff, um, unpredictable stuff. I mean, what's more unpredictable than a guy dying in a helicopter crash? You've been taking a helicopter for over a decade every day. Yeah. You know, and if you think like, you know, if you're nervous about flying or if you're like, if it could happen to Kobe, it could happen to anybody. And untimely death could happen to Kobe. It could happen to anybody. I mean, I do think that when you're talking about an athlete, though, it's a bit different because there's this transcendent level of immortality that comes with being one of the greatest athletes to ever live or ever play any game in our country. And you just assume that these guys, like it's different than being an artist or a musician or like these guys, this is an athlete, you know, like he's he's more alive than anybody. Right. I mean, he's using his physical body more than anybody to inspire and um, to lose him. And one thing I noticed that was interesting, and, and I'm trying to think, because I've been racking my brain, because I'll admit it, people die all the time. I've had friends die. I've had, uh, I've had family members pass away. I've had just people that I've known for a long time. I got news yesterday about somebody I knew and I hadn't spoke to in years that passed away, a massive heart attack. But, I meet Kobe twice, I watch him on TV for years, and this fucked me up. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, with folks that I noticed and everybody sharing their accounts, there was a common thread. And I think this is what made him really transcendent as an athlete. He was Jordan level psychotic on the court. Yes. Okay, he was a fucking psycho in the best way. But he wasn't a tough guy off it. And. I knew that because I met him and his energy was welcoming, uh, curious. You keep hearing that in everybody's account. I, people have come out of the woodwork and usually you can tell when somebody's like, you didn't really know Kobe or whoever it is, like you're kind of making this up and making it about you. Like there are people coming out of the woodwork that I would never expect were friends with Kobe. And at first glance, I'm like, yeah, right, you were. And then there's like a ton of details. And, and the common thread for me is reading about how inquisitive he was, how open to learn and excited to meet people. And every picture you see with somebody, he's smiling big. Um, I've seen a bunch of videos being shared where people, I mean, you're Kobe Bryant, you're a global superstar. People are bothering you all the time. He was, he was welcoming, he was curious, and he wasn't a tough guy off the court. He's a tough guy, but he didn't have to act like a tough guy. He wasn't a tough guy, but he still had that mentality he had on the court because another common thread of all these people saying that they had a relationship with him was Kobe reached out to me. Yeah, I got a text one time that said, hey, it's Kobe, call me. And I, I thought it was a joke. I yes. read that probably 10 times. Or people getting calls from Kobe at 3 a.m. Yeah. because he has a question about this or that. It's wild. It's insane. And it makes you think about, and also there were some, what it made me think about was like when I met him, 
And of course, like he he watches our team. And one thing that's funny is you get ready to play in the Super Bowl or anything like that, and you're thinking, who's watching you? Yeah. And it's pretty cool to think of like if you're on the Eagles, Kobe Bryant's watching you on Sunday. If you make a play, one of the greatest athletes of all time, you can earn that person's respect. So I thought it was cool when I when I saw him at the ESPYS, and this was after this was last year, last ESPYS, um, last summer, and I was backstage. I was doing, I think I was presenting something to UVA and then he was walking by and we made eye contact and my thing was like, I don't want to bother Kobe. But the eye contact was long enough that I was like, oh, maybe he knows who I am. It's awkward if I walk by him. So I go to dap him up and I'm like, hey, Kobe, what's up, man? It's, it's Chris Long, bro. Uh, and he's like, he smiles like real big and laughs. He goes, I know who you are, bro. And That's like awesome. dap, hug. And I was like, you know, how, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to keep you long. So I'm, I'm just like, having a having a good weekend or whatever and he's like man it's awesome bro it's great to see you too and like just kept it moving um which was mission accomplished for me anytime i meet somebody like that if i can but i think that was the feeling that he gave pretty much everybody it wasn't about me it was about like he he tried to show people what that welcoming spirit and that respect and like i want to make you feel like you matter like you matter and that's what i've seen in everybody's account so there's something to take from that, no matter who you are. It's like how you make people feel is truly, I mean, the old saying is like, how you make people feel is more important than anything. He's made a lot of people feel pretty good meeting him. Uh, and I, th- I, I think that, um, I think that's cool. Um, you know, the pictures and everything, you can really see it show through. But this is, this is bigger than, I, I think what's, what's affecting us so much is not only the mortality thing, which is amazing to me that it takes a celebrity dying or you know an athlete dying to grapple with their own mortality or to say, hey, I'm gonna make the most of my life. But I've thought that way, like after you know, the last couple of days, I've thought about things. And because I think some, day, some days you wake up and you're like, that couldn't happen to me, nothing could happen to me. Like I'm X, Y, or Z, like it's just reasons that this shit ain't gonna happen to me. And I do think about death. Like I, I do think about that stuff. I think about, oh, I'm a paranoid person. I think about, what could happen if I'm gone? What will happen to my kids, et cetera? And they're morbid thoughts sometimes, but I think they're healthy thoughts to have and to think about your own mortality and make you make the most of your life. I know it's a cliche, but you gotta get busy living, man. You, you do, and I, I feel like when I look back at Kobe's life and I saw a Ringer interview that was shared, it was eerie. Two things I saw this week that were eerie. The Ringer interview where they go, what kind of relationship do you have with death? And he didn't even pause, he said a comfortable one. I'd like to have a comfortable relationship with that because it's not, he goes, death is a part of life. Like it's, if I could have that same mindset, which obviously he's a very fearless person. So I I doubt he ever worried about that day coming. I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure it would break his heart to know that it would come the same day as he'd lose his 13 year old, they'd die together. But I, if, if you could have that mentality where you're not living thinking about dying, you're, you're thinking about making the most of your life, I think that's the way he probably thought. Another one was I saw, um, I think it was Tracy McGrady, saying that when he was younger, you say, I wanna be as good as Jordan, I wanna die young and be immortalized. Hmm. I saw that interview this morning. So I just thought, you know, and, and everybody's taking their stab at Instagram, and I, my little caption was like, hey, when I'm looking at Kobe, I don't, he certainly wasn't a long life by any standard, but it was a full life. And I'm pretty sure he squeezed every drop out of that 41 years. And most people live 85, 90 years. Whether you're a pro athlete or not, the curiosity that he had, I think if he was working, um, 
you know, at the DMV, he'd be living a full life. I mean, he just was that type of guy. I do think that what made this different was that of all those deaths I men- mentioned in the 90s, you know, when I was growing up, Sean, you know, Derek Thomas for sure, uh, Reggie White in the 2000s, Sean Taylor. This is the latest, the, the, the latest big time celebrity or athlete death that's the biggest one that's come at the time where we can collectively mourn the most. I mean, like social media is crazy right now. And so like, that's the part for me, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we all see each other mourning over it. And mourning, it's not like we're, I'm not crying, I'm not like, I don't think about Kobe all day, but it's fucking sad. And it's somebody that, uh, like you said, has occupied our, our headspace in sports for 20 years. Um, and was also seen to be accessible off the court. And this is the time where you can log on and everybody's opening, you know, opening the door into how they're, they're, they're comprehending this. And it's also, I think it's less about Kobe for some as it is about like, this is, we're all talking about this uncomfortable thing at the same time, which is death. Yeah, and I know we've we've um, we've talked about him on the court. I, did you see the Lou Williams tweet where he talks about the Lakers getting blown out in Portland, and then Kobe made a lap through the locker room, snatching everybody's Kobe's, all of the Kobe shoes, and threw them in the trash, saying that his <laughs> teammates were too soft to wear them. It's amazing. I mean, the he was just he was a larger than life personality, and yes, it comes at at present the apex of this social media world we have going on. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's in this way, social media it can be helpful. Yeah. And I know you're going to talk about Twitter in a bit, but um, yeah, I, um, th- we are hearing the same words over and over. Curious, smart, engaging, uh, competitor, charismatic, one word I've heard, I think, once, which I think was spot on, was audacious. Just he was willing to take big swings at things, mm-hmm. and if he failed, so be it. But mm-hmm. he was going to give it his all. And uh, we saw it recently with his winning an Academy Award, um, what, two years after yeah. basketball, which, yeah. is, which is just nuts. And then, so. and then also just it's the NBA, so it's different. I think also this adds to it is seeing – looking around and seeing not only, like we said, that generation of kids that grew up on Kobe, but also the people they are watching play now that are also pro athletes that grew up on Kobe and became personal friends with him. And, you know, I know they didn't cancel the game Sunday, which was bizarre, but also put yourself in the commissioner's shoes. You have people at the the arenas already when the news is breaking. I don't know. Now I talked to a player or two that was like, I don't know how the fuck we're gonna play. and that's understandable. And, and different athletes more in different ways. I mean, I talked to Torrey Smith this week about the Super Bowl. Torrey Smith is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen was Torrey Smith losing his brother the night before he played in prime time. And he went off for over 100 yards. And I think he scored like the, the game-winning touchdown or something in a one-point victory. You know, in week three of the NFL season. Yeah. And that is so hard to comprehend. The Brett Favre game. Yep. Players... Players handle things different ways. So I'm sure like it was split down the middle. Some guys probably just want to go play basketball. Right. Human beings handle things different ways. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's an outlet. It's a distraction. You can get away from thinking about it for a few hours. 
and then you saw Tyson Chandler on the bench and he's crying and 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 that's where you realize like watching all these interviews the guys are choked up and it's not just cuz they looked up to him it turned out these guys became NBA players partially at least because of the inspiration from Kobe Bryant their god-given talent and their work ethic but like a little piece of that pie was probably who they grew up watching and who inspired them to make it out of certain places that they grew up and 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 play professional basketball and then they became friends with him and that's the thing that I don't know of any of I don't know of another sports league I was trying to think in the NFL I don't know if there'd be a death in the NFL knock on wood that would stimulate this kind of collective sadness um, and I think that's because the NBA is a real community. There's not as much, there's not as much guarding. There's not as much machismo. Is that the word? Yeah. Well, one practical issue. There's no helmet. Yeah. I mean, we can see your face yep. for 20 plus years. Yep. And we can see the transition from eight to 24, from the sunglasses on top of his head at Lower Lower Marion, saying he was going to go straight to the NBA. That's another part of it. I mean, he was one of the first, one along the with first. KG, to make a success, successful move from high school to the NBA. And that was one thing LeBron mentioned on the heels of him passing Kobe uh, the night before he passed, um, which is insane, mm-hmm. was he mentioned his inspiration he drew from him as a guy who made it look possible to go straight from high school. And uh, watching these guys mourn over him in a really authentic way, it's not like they're just... They, you know, they're not people throwing their two cents in because somebody famous died. Like, they knew this fucking guy. Yeah. And I think that speaks to not only the community in the NBA, you know, 82 games, you're on the road, you're in each other's cities. Like, these guys hang out. They catch up after the game. In the NFL, like, you know, we know each other, but it is, it's an alpha, it's like the alpha male sport, and you can't be too friendly. Your coaches are like, don't fucking talk to your friends before the game no dinner before the game with opponents, like nothing like that. I'm pretty sure these guys all hang out. And when you get a chance to hang out with one of your heroes, your heroes can do one of two things. And this is universal in all sports. They can blow you off, look out for themselves, or, or, or value that relationship. And it seems like hearing all these guys, from Trey Young, who had a monumental kind of game uh, on the day he learned about one of his heroes and personal friends passing, to different guys that said, oh, there was this one anecdote where he brought me along and like, just look at his tweet to LeBron after LeBron passed him. We all know there's NBA stars that, or NFL stars who their egos get in the way. It seemed like he was a fan, like, which is cool. Right. Every video I saw was people sharing videos where I, they're, they're courtside or something and they're another athlete and Kobe's gonna come. He appreciates athletes, people. Um, Doncic is about to inbound the ball, and Kobe's sitting with his daughter, Gigi, and he's speaking in Slovenian. Slovenian. This uh, is right? another and, thing. And he turns around, and, and Luca's like, who in the world? And it's Kobe. Yes. That's so he's a guy that was, was maximally competitive, but could check that at the door when he exited the building and just be a person and pull for people, including LeBron, who just passed him, with zero ego, and I guess when you're that great, how hard is it to give praise? But he was, he praised LeBron, and that was his last tweet. And uh, I know that's uh, gotta be really hard for LeBron. I know LeBron and him had a real relationship, and um, it'll be interesting to see the rest of the year, the kind of fire under his belly that LeBron plays with, but that's basketball, that's unimportant. Um, the, the important part here is that, uh, you know, three daughters lost their dad, a wife lost, um, 
her husband. Uh, and that's far more tragic than people losing a guy that they grew up with a poster on the wall of like, we can all get through that and continue to be inspired by him. But there's a family left behind and there's also eight, uh, you know, seven others, excluding Kobe and his daughter, Gigi, who perished in that, in that helicopter accident. It was a terrible tragedy. And people die every day. So in no way are we minimizing the loss of Gigi or the other people on that, that helicopter um, when you mourn Kobe. Um, but people die every day. Uh, this guy just happened to be somebody that inspired a whole lot of people. And we've spent, and this is the weird thing about relationships and being fans, is like we spent getting to know our athletes. And the NBA thing, as you mentioned, no helmets. We know this guy. So um, again, I think, it's, I think it's the latest in a line of, of really unfortunate, untimely losses that happened at the peak of social media where we can mourn together. And I do hope that it's not a three, four day thing. I think, I hope people do grapple with their mortality because if it can happen to Kobe, it can happen to anybody. And um, yeah, one of those tell people you love them things and live life to the fullest, because I know he did. Um, so rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, Gigi, everybody else who, who perished in, in that crash, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with anybody affected by this, whether you're a fan or you actually knew uh, any of these folks um, personally. So terrible, terrible day, but trying to draw some inspiration from the way he played and lived. So, Amen. Amen. Um, on to something lighter. So it is episode 26 of the Greenlight Podcast. Um, and again, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, this is the easier part of the podcast. So we're going to talk about our favorite number 26 at the moment, or most notable. I don't think... We can define it any way we like. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is one that's relevant to me right now. I will pop mine up first. Okay. That's Miles Sanders. Okay. That's a guy who's going to terrorize the NFC East for a long time to come. And I also think his play style, this might be a hot take, might lend it, and what he's going to be surrounded with uh, might lend itself to longer success than Saquon, who I love. I've never seen a back that young, that good. Um, but I'm, I'm afraid that in New York, in your football giants, they might waste his talent. I don't think Miles is going to be wasted. He draws a lot of Brian Westbrook comparisons. He also is a guy that um, was wildly productive this year. I mean, he broke uh, single-season records for the Eagles in Week 16 against the, the Washington football team uh, in, in, I think, uh, yards from scrimmage and rushing. Um, so good company for him. Uh, and then, you know, a guy that works very hard. By all accounts, teammates love him. Good kid. Love to see that. Love to see that. You're batting about 500 with personalities in any sport. So good kid, works hard. He's a perfect fit for that city, uh, Pennsylvania, Penn State, um, blue collar. And I do think he's going to be around for a while. Speaking of working hard, you and I work hard to keep our choices. Secret. Secret. Yeah. Before we unveil them here on we've, the pod. We've been doing that for three long pods. You just went with uh, an NFC East running back. Wearing number 26 from Penn State, wearing a dark helmet yeah. with a white jersey and white pants. Here's mine, C. Long. His name is Saquon Barkley. Beautiful uniform there, too. Uh, well, that, yes, I did that for you. Um, those are the throwback giant uniforms. Color rush, technically. Yeah. Uh, 
Six feet, 233 pounds. Of just fury, dude. Born in the Bronx. Was he? Yeah. Over 5,000 yards rushing and receiving and 51 TDs. Is that good? In three years at Penn State. Went number two, of course, to the Giants' highest running back picked in the draft since Reggie Bush in 2006. As a rookie, most 100-plus yards from scrimmage games uh, in NFL history, 12. Most scrimmage yards by a rookie, 2028. Most 50-plus yard touchdowns by a rookie, five, tied with Randy Moss. Great company, first Giants running back to have 1,000 rush yards in his first two seasons. A little banged up this year. Still got past the century That's what mark. happens when you play for the Giants and you're about it. Yeah, and hopefully uh, help is on its way because we want Saquon to have the longest of I would. Lo- I'm an Eagles fan. I would love to see that guy play as long as Frank Gore. Yeah. I mean, I have never seen a back. I thought he might be the best back I'd seen. And I played AP. I played a number of guys, or AD all day, however the fuck you, it's people with the A-Rod thing, Aaron Rod. Aaron Rodgers is A-Rod, okay? Adrian Peterson's fucking initials are AP, okay? So uh, before you cry in my mentions, and maybe that's irrelevant now, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah, he, when we played them in New York in 2018, not the Super Bowl year, uh, obviously, because he wasn't playing at that point. Um, I felt like I was in a Madden intro, you know, like where they're like spin around. It's like an aerial view yeah. of a player juking people, and then they freeze frame it, and he's hurtling somebody, and they go, Shoosh! and then it's like, you know, some guy ducking his head and missing him underneath, and then he spins off another guy. Like I was, there was a long screen that broke out, and I was hurt that game, so I couldn't run. And I'm just running behind him, about eight to ten yards behind him, just watching him juke everybody. He was just like, spin, truck, hurdle. And I'm in a fucking video game. And I'm also thinking to myself, like, if you catch up to this motherfucker in the uneventful instance that you catch up to Saquon Barkley, do not end up on the highlight reel. And it turned out to be one of the most viewed runs of that season. Mm. Very insignificant game for, for them. Uh, but that was when I realized that this kid was beyond special. Um, he's got the lateral ability of, you know, I dare I say a Barry Sanders. I mean, he, he does remind me a little bit of him, um, but he also has that home run ability of, you know, a Miles Sanders, a burner. Um, he's got the power inside the tackles of a Marshawn Lynch. Of uh, Ray Lewis. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's Frankenstein, it's like a Frankenstein of running backs. Yep. And, uh, and now he's in the very capable hands of Jason Garrett. That's right. I had a dream the other night that I saw all the Garretts. Cool. That just unlocked that. John. Yeah, I saw, uh, yep, John, Jason, uh, and I guess there were some others. Are there others that I don't even know? Most likely. In the dream, others. there were others. But yeah. I saw him, I was at the beach, and... I think my thought in the dream was, God, I hope I haven't talked any shit about Jason Garrett since I've been <laughs> podcasting because I really am a big fan of the Garretts. John Garrett, shout out to John, uh, was was one of my coaches at UVA. And now where is he? Uh, he's at a smaller school. He's a head coach at a smaller school. But they're both first-class people. And um, yeah, so we're Lafayette, on a, Lafayette, Lafayette College. Yep. So we're on a Garrett tangent. 
Um, MPC Computers Bowl, by the way, you were right. Yeah, MPC Computers Bowl. That that was uh, that was yeah, that was an interesting week. Um, let's talk Twitter. Let's talk Twitter. Let's get to Twitter. Let's uh, address the elephant in the room. So you know this. I've been working on this for about. I've been talking about it. I've been talking about it, you know, and, and a lot of people know me as a prolific Twitter user. Um, all that means is I'm relatively witty and I have ADD. You know, to be good at Twitter, it's all you need, um, which means you can't put your phone down. And, you know, it's always been something that's been a thorn in my side for better part of a decade. And this fall, I got out of football. And the conundrum I was in was I wanted to knock the Twitter use down in a big way, but I still needed it to like keep up with the news and do research. So trying to find that balance during the football season. And I'll cross that bridge when, when I come to it next fall. But I have kind of, as the seasons dwindled down, first it was I want to be more productive, so I need to be on Twitter less. Took a little hiatus, came back to it. Then I realized that I just don't fucking like Twitter. And uh, I had a feeling for a while that it has been more of a pain in my ass. It's something I enjoy. Um, a couple facts about Twitter. Social media affects, and that's all social media, affects attention span, uh, which is big for me as somebody who can't sit still. Self-esteem. I do love myself, but I think I might love myself more when I'm off it. Um, and my ability to sleep, for sure. Um, I'm not an easy sleeper. I'm sure if I'm staring at my phone late at night and it's stimulating my brain, it's not helping. Our brains are not evolved to experience or understand so many different issues in a quick succession like that. And I think uh, that, I mean, think about the jump we made mentally. I'm not being funny. Like there's industrial revolution, fucking Twitter. I mean, like those were like, we've been around for eons, all of a sudden industrial revolution. We've thought for eons. All of a sudden, oh, open my phone. There's 15 really, you know, emergency type issues that are all being addressed in 240 characters. And you've got to react right away. You have to care about them all and you have to react right away. Um, according to Cal, which is a good school, bad feelings and moods can be transferred across social networks. Does that, in yeah. does that include LinkedIn? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Well, because when you're talking about self-esteem, you're talking about people posting their highlight reels yeah. of their lives on IG, Facebook. Somebody gets a new promotion, put it on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and you think you feel inadequate compared to these other folks. So for sure, let's yeah, let's rope in LinkedIn. Comparison's bad, and, that, and I'm looking at you on LinkedIn. I don't have an account, but I would imagine it's not fun. Um, by the way, that 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 four square picture thing everybody's sharing—it's just an excuse mm -hmm. to take a, a a picture they think is hot of themselves and right. put it in the uh, the Tinder box or be hilarious. It's for, mostly for I those think of it, you being hilarious. You're batting about two hundred. Yeah, I was gonna—I'm gonna try one later. I think it's pretty funny. Okay, but it's it's definitely like to me. I'm like, I see what you're doing. Okay, you took your shirt off for the LinkedIn or the uh, the the Tinder section. We get it. Like you just wanted to thirst trap. And this is a good excuse. Right. And we and see you. We get it. You're going to put in fast bender. You think you're fast bender. No, that's, that's not, that's not the, uh, I do think, uh, I don't know if I, you know, okay. favor them or whatever, but, okay. um, also Twitter raises the chances of general anxiety. I noticed that to be absolutely true. And I'm somebody with anxiety. So, um, it doesn't help. And p I think also people with anxiety flock to Twitter because they're like, 
I'm paranoid. I got to see what's going on. I don't want to miss anything. Also, like, the world is ending. Let me see how bad the world's ending. Like, let me get on here. And then it makes it, it worse. Um, so I think if you can walk away from Twitter a little bit, which I've tried to do lately, and I'll get into that, um, you can kill two birds with one stone, the Twitter piece and the phone piece. You're on your phone a lot less. The world around you. It's not like you replace it with something else. It's not like I'm rummaging through my notes section of, of my phone. Like my phone has sat in my pocket the last 10 days since I've taken a step back um, longer than it's ever sat in my pocket. And you, you've talked about this. Like you'll pick it up sometimes not even thinking about it. And you're not as addicted as I've been. No, where I snap back to reality to quote, um, my guy Eminem mm. is when I'm on the laptop, which you referred to as tweeting from your laptop is like, well, tweeting from my laptop is the only thing I do now. And that's like, uh, it's like the, the first settlers did that. Right. That's the, you know, we're going back to the Oregon trail. Where right. they... So if I'm cruising Twitter on my laptop and I'm like, gosh, I spent too much time here. Let me do something else. Yeah. And then I, without thinking, pick up the phone and open up the Twitter app. That's when I'm like time to go outside. And that's a lot of days when you're on Twitter a lot. And it's for me? Yeah. Yeah. I've told you, I've put the 30-minute limit on the, tw- on the Twitter application, and it's worked well. Okay. Well, but, some people power through limits. I, I, I tried the limit, but it's amazing how you, you see the hourglass, and you're just like, ignore. Remind me in 15 minutes. Yeah. Remind me in 15 minutes. I got to see how fucking shitty things are going out in the world right now. I got to watch two people argue over nothing or argue that agree. I mean, like, it's it's insane. You're never truly at home when you're scanning Twitter. And like, that's something since I've become a parent, I've been more mindful of is like, it was one thing to sit around and tweet a lot when, you know, it's just me and my wife in the house and we can't, you know, spend 22 hours with each other a day. Um, but, you know, there's two kids running around now. Like, I'm missing out. Um, and some people might be like, well, you can do both. Like, no, I mean, some people can't. Some people just are a little bit ADD and can't like, you know, they can't control that. So it's a little bit more all or nothing. And I've been too busy anyway, so something's gotta go. I mean, my first fallout, I've been, I've been running on a, a, a you know, a hamster wheel. Um, and I think uh, ultimately you're the company you keep, right? You talk about your friends and, and the environment that, that you're in and, and uh, my timeline uh, has become me in some ways, and that's cynical and negative a lot of the time. So I guess my announcement would be that I've lost the battle to Twitter, and I'm being I'm being as square as I can on that because sounds like you're about to conquer it. You're about to win. Well, yeah, this is the win, but I've been losing. I had lost the fucking game, and I'm trying to be self aware here and share um, because that's kind of like. I try to live by that code a little bit, like, so what you see is what you get, okay? Well, it's easy to be self-aware if you're only sharing the things that don't actually suck and they might be acceptable to you, but to everybody else, they're like, good job, you shared something. Like, this is me sharing something that's personal. Like, I was on Twitter too much and it became a loss for me. Um, I lost, I tried, I couldn't manage it, um, and it made me a worse person. So, this is me being self-aware. And it was a failure. And it's not a failure because I was bad at it. I was very good at it. Like, I guess, I mean, depending. I don't think sure. anybody, if, if you're good at Twitter, I, I think you're bad at, you're being bad at life. Um, and that's some people I really like who are on Twitter. I would imagine they might be going through the same thing, seeing the volume of tweets that they're also firing off. 
Um, and it's an internal struggle. I don't care what you say. Unless you're very comfortable in that world. I was not. I was always dealing with this uh, cognitive dissonance mm. where I'm like, I'm not really sure uh, if this is something I like at all, but I'm, I'm drawn to it um, because I'm bored or I'm managing my stress. You know, sometimes you're just so stressed as a player or whatever you're doing, you know, in your life that you're like, well, if I just escape into my phone, I can't be bothered or I won't think about the things that are stressing me out. Then you just replace them with the, the terrible shit that's happening around the world and in your country, um, which you could read in a news article too. Mm -hmm. And you don't need anybody to parse it or frame it the way they want to frame it. And you can think for yourself and that sort of thing. So it just became an extension of my body, like my phone, like my, you know, and we get addicted to it. We get, it's like the dopamine, the, the compulsion, like we all, whether or not you, you got on it to feel good about tweeting shit, like it's not like you're just, it's not like you're just doing it for yourself. Otherwise you just take notes. Like you're doing it to engage in a conversation or, you know, elicit a reaction or at the end of the day, your goal is to feel good about what you're putting out there. I don't care who you are. Even me, who I think that I, whatever I tweeted, I really meant. Um, but eventually it, it affects your reality and it like you become this Twitter person outside the app and that's not good because Twitter is a really toxic place. Uh, I became... I made a lot of assumptions. Like I, I was so busy like battling people on Twitter or like reading just really cynical stuff. You could post like, got a new puppy today. Why can't somebody else have that puppy? Like why do you get the puppy? Like that's Twitter. And then you leave Twitter and you assume everybody else is like that. Or you deal with fucking haters or people that, you know I hate the word haters, but like people that just trolls or people that live to disrupt your shit. And then you go out in the real world and you assume that everybody else is like that. Well, they're not. Twitter is not real. So, uh, you know, the assumptions, um, I was more confrontational. Um, somebody said to me, they were like, sometimes I'll see you tweet and I'm wondering if you missed the confrontation of football. And that was really eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was accurate because I think I'm always just confrontational and football was part of that too. But um, I just don't think Twitter's the right place for me. Uh, because of that confrontational nature. And then also the fact that I've shared beliefs I have, politics, um, you know, things that I really believe. And most players don't do that. So I became like a target for people um, when it was just like, I don't need to argue with you. I don't need to give you access to get in a pissing contest with me. It's not going to change the way I fucking think. I've never seen somebody on Twitter be like, oh, I was wrong. Or you're right. So what are we arguing about? I'm done arguing with people. So... Um, you know, I used to talk to Big Cat about, about it. I'm like, how do you do? How do you do it? You tweet a lot. It doesn't seem to zap you. He goes, I just keep repeating myself. I'm not here to argue, and I can't do that. If it's there, I am really good at taking criticism. I think like I have thick skin, but what I'm not good at is not firing back. And uh, and so Twitter is the wrong place. So it's made my attention span worse. Made me more confrontational. It started as this small room when I was in St. Louis. This really cool little place where I could see all, you know, St. Louis Rams fans, which is a small fraternity. Uh, it's almost non-existent now. It is non-existent unless you're going back through your VHS tapes and uh, throwing on the old Edward Jones highlights. But there were people I knew. There were friends. I got to know my followers. And over the years, whether that was playing in two big markets or the political stuff or whatever, like the room got too big. And, um, and I was like, I looked around one day and I was just like, what the fuck is this? So... 
Um, it just sucks. First the, the productivity, now the enjoyment. And then no tweet is ever good enough. Like no matter how positive or how, you know, concrete the tweet is, uh, you could you could tweet the sky is blue and somebody would have something to say. Um, so I'm done with that. Um, it's also hard not to seem self-important. You know me, you would tell me if I'm a self-important person. I try not to be. Um, but no matter what you type out, I'm sometimes mortified at the, the possibility that people think I'm, I really think what I have to say is more important than anybody else. Like, but you get that blue check mark and people see things retweeted, they might not even follow you, and they're like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Like, why does he have to weigh in on this? I'm like, no, I'm just using Twitter like everybody else. I have tried to be relentlessly normal, and I can't do it anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, this sabbatical, yeah. however long it lasts, will, will be a good thing. And yeah. you can still use it, but you can use it for purely good. Yes, purely good, growing chalk, water boys, whatever, educational initiatives. Also, sometimes if I have a thought that I think is profound, I'm gonna fire up my little Mac, my MacBook Pro, my 12-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, I, and got a, I got a 13-inch MacBook Pro. <laughs> Mine's 14. My MacBook Pro is 14 inches. Oh. Did you see the new ones that came out? You got me. Nah, this bad boy's from like 2011. Yeah, I, I, I misspoke. It's actually a 14-inch MacBook Pro. Might be 15, um, but I'm gonna fire up that computer like, you know, early settlers and, uh, and I'll be tweeting. It'll be a lot less and it'll be on my computer. So go try that. If you're listening to this and you secretly hate Twitter the way I've secretly hated Twitter, trust me, the last 10 days have been some of the best days of the last decade of my life. And is that all you have to say about that? Uh, <laughs> wait, you got something. Well, I have a nice transition, but it's to a different topic. Well, I, I would like to say this. You got to hold me accountable. And I don't know what the, like, there's going to be times where I want to tweet about stuff, but you, you be the judge. If it's gotten out of hand in any given day, if you look back through my tweets last week, I think I'm under 10 replies. And in the, so that's less than, yeah, it's, it's a tweet a day, 10 days, 10 replies, and, and probably one or two actual tweets. I had to fire off a sponsor joint today. Um, had to fire off some chalk content. Favorited a couple things, but I'm not going to argue with anybody. And the nice thing is now, since I'm off it, I don't miss it. I promise you, you do this, you won't miss it. I shall adjudicate your usage moving okay. forward. And what's the penalty? Well, I think you have to become a Twitter brand ambassador. I think you have to go head-to-toe Twitter gear here on the pod. Boy, I would hate that. I think you would hate that. So I think that's a nice penalty. Okay. So, yeah, and we'll take it to the judges. The judges can be the guys behind the... Uh... I thought you just said I was the judge. Well, you know, because I think I, I, I worry... I th- no, I think what needs to happen is you identify a day where you think I've gone off the rails on Twitter.com. Okay. Or that I'm tweeting more than I said I would, which is very rare now. This it's might been... shock you. I, I don't visit the site every day. Well, and I think some of us do have a healthy relationship with it. And but, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't pull it off, but you just have to know yourself. And I'm not a person who can, and I'm not going to delete my account because I think that would be just stupid for chalk and for charity. And sometimes I might want to live tweet a game for whatever reason, or I have a, a thought that's worth the shit. We can't write our own mailbags. Yeah, we need mailbags, which is this really cool exclusive um, 
segment we do only on Greenlight. Um, it's a mailbag farm, yeah. But I think you should identify a day that you think is a candidate. Hey guys, what do you think? And then you ask the the cats behind the uh, behind the the curtain. Okay. Um, so I think we'll we'll do that in the future. Okay. All right. My transition. Yeah. Shwash. Shwash. Is that I had my first ever first career, and I wasn't sure going in if it was or not. Yeah. Oh boy. My first ever MRI yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd had some CT scans, very different, much quicker. MRI, tube, panic attack, headphones. I, didn't, I had a panic attack for the first two to three seconds. Yeah. But before I get there, I had to lock all my things in a locker, yeah. including the mobile phone, which I didn't think much of until I'm sitting in a dressing room in my gown and sweatpants. Right. And I don't have another human being to talk to. And I don't have a newspaper. And I don't have the phone. I don't have Twitter. I don't yeah. have newspaper apps, etc. And I started to lose my mind. I read every placard on the, uh, in the room about six times. I watched the clock go around for three minutes at a time before looking elsewhere. And these folks were pretty efficient. Uh, Which is place. good for an MRI spot because usually you have to sit a while. They tell you, hey, be there when I've had probably 20, 25 MRIs. So welcome to the, yeah, the fraternity. And um, I didn't look at the needle. There, well, here's what I want to say. <laughs> After um, it was, I'm not being funny. It was very hard at first to, and, and this is piggybacking off, off your Twitter rant. It was hard being alone yeah, with myself without anybody else for the first five, 10 minutes of my 30 minute sit. And then after a while it became kind of nice. I don't see, I don't mind being alone with myself. If I'm outside and I'm alone with myself, I love it. But, but, with but no, being in a waiting with, room, yeah, it can be, uh, it can be, it's like if you get on a flight, you start feeling like uh, it, it doesn't have internet, and your phone died for some reason, doesn't have the plugs. We've gotten so soft as flyers. I mean, like imagine the people in the 70s who just had to read the fucking newspaper and inhale each other's Marlboro Lights. I can, I can even do that if I have a piece of paper and a pen. Yeah. I can just, but having nothing yeah, at all. Then you ask the flight attendant if she shocking. has a pen and it looks like you asked for a, a bar of gold. Um, right. Yeah, so... Um, the MRI thing, when you got in it, you, you're doing your bicep, right? Because everybody knows out there that you've had this bicep issue. Yeah, so I guess I've been lying to the people. I don't yet know if the bicep is torn. I've been saying torn bicep. I'm going to say it probably isn't. But a strain is a micro tear, so you can get away with that. I'll, I'll hopefully learn very soon. Uh, I, I, was so, I was called the star of the day um, by the people who did the needle stuff and put the contrast in That's my That's what they shoulder. say to kids. No, no, no. Seriously. My, I maintained a straight face with all the needles. Yeah. And I wasn't woozy or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And oh, I yeah. got star of the day from Good. the nurse. Good. What did you dress like to get your MRI? Did you go to the MRI and to describe you right now, signature sweater, button down under the sweater, uh, gray corduroys, uh, loafers, and some nice winter polo socks and perfect hair. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So you do that, did you dress like that for the MRI or did you put on some casual clothes for the MRI? Uh, different 
clothes exactly this outfit though. You went in a fucking tube dressed like Mr. Rogers. No, sir. I had, <laughs> I had they made me put on a gown and the hospital sweatpants. No, I had to change into a, a gown, bro. This was a legit yeah, procedure. I guess so, but you but yeah, the hospital sweatpants usually when I've gone, you just have to take certain things off, you know? No, nah, this was real deal. Holy okay, field. real deal, Holyfield. Yeah. And As opposed to my fake deal, Holyfield <laughs> MRIs that I've had. And my man puts on headphones and he goes, I got any music you like. And I oh, that's froze. the worst. I absolutely froze. And like the first things that come to mind, I can't say out loud. I can't say marching bands. <laughs> I can't say boy bands, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And I, I, I'm even uncomfortable saying country music at times. Dude, I, I've, I've been in that situation. I almost always think for a while. And I'm like, do y'all have Pandora? And they're like, yeah, I'm, I just go with Willie Nelson Pandora. And he said they had Pandora, and I was like, man, it really doesn't matter. And he goes, right now, it's on 70s rock. And I said, perfect. Here's the problem. There's two people that steal my time in my life that just I just want honesty from you fuckers. Airplane pilots and MRI operators. Hmm. They always tell you it's shorter than it's going to be. I have no idea. I understand a little bit more with the pilots and everything because of routing and stuff. They could get on and be like, we're 40 minutes from uh, you know, San Antonio, and then it's another hour and a half. Yeah. I get it. Things can change. Please update me. Right. Um, we're beginning our descent. You're on the ground 90 minutes later. Yes. But the MRI people, they, they, they pull that shit too, and there's no good excuse. They're like, I, I always make a point to ask, tell me the truth. How long is this MRI? They all say 35 minutes. Yes. 35 my, my minutes. Said 35. Go ahead and count the songs. I, on you. I, I, part of how I was dealing with, so the first three seconds, sorry to interrupt, that no, I go fine. in the tube, my eyes are open, I was like, oh, I might be claustrophobic, this could be a problem. <laughs> and so then I just close my eyes, focus on my breathing. Yeah, that's and, what they say. And started to really pay attention to the songs and I ended up memorizing yeah. uh, my playlist there. Nice. But yeah, I, I could count the songs. And, uh, and it never adds up. You're always, most songs are like four minutes, right? That's how I usually. Right. Uh, and, and I'll be in there and I'll count to 12 songs and we'll still be going. By the way, I can fall asleep in an MRI machine. I almost bo, bo, did. Bo, 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 bo. There's like, you know, it's like a sound machine. Yeah. It sucks though, because they got to wake you up in 30 minutes. My uh, technician. And you got to so, stand still. You got to sit still. It's really hard to sit still while you're fighting sleep. And I didn't know the, the procedure. Can people come in the room and whatnot? And so my, my wrist hand forearm weren't being supportive yeah so it fell asleep and then started to hurt bad thoughts and prayers yeah and my guy was like okay the next one will be seven and a half minutes or so i was like hey great um could you uh maybe put a pillow under my, my hand or something <laughs> and he said i'll be right in i, I was he put a pillow under your yeah, hand yeah so i've it, never asked for anything it was really i was about to because they said keep your palm and then it's going to fall off your the side thing, like, like oh god i'm gonna have to come in here again because imagine my, being a little bit wider and fitting in that tube yeah not being funny yeah 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 like when brandon brooks has to get an mri there are what the fuck there aren't bigger tubes i don't think so i think they're very the, the siemens are very uh that's what the that's the brand oh. siemens Okay. They're very uh, uniform. They're not. They don't make plus size. Um, that can't be true. You think? I, I believe you. You've had more than. Well, nine. I've never been in one that was bigger. But maybe there's a room they take you if they eyeball you in the waiting room, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna need to get this guy in the." Perhaps. Uh, so they do ask for your yeah. for your weight. Midsize SUV or you know the Cadillac. Right. Some people need the Cadillac. Also, um, 
uh, quick update on uh, Matt Conrath, die tips. We're going to yeah. get him on the show soon, but wanted to give the viewers something to look at if you're watching on YouTube.com. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen him in person since that happened. It's been a busy week. I haven't either, but I talked to him. This- For those of you, can we give a little background? Again, Matt Conrath, former NFL player. Sack, <laughs> sacked Drew Brees. He did sack Drew Brees. That was, I was, yep. Uh, I was there. I saw it. I was it. there as well. Um, you were there that weekend. Yep. And, uh, you know, um, finds himself in a fantasy football league with a bunch of guys that didn't play football professionally except for myself. And me and him were, uh, were in the race not to be in last place. And if you get in last place in our league, you get die tips. You get the Guy Fieri's. Matt works in the uh, medical field. Um, mm-hmm. So imagine him in scrubs, six foot seven. Uh, and, uh, you know, the died tips. I talked to him today. He said that it's better or worse, I guess, depending on your perspective. They've gotten even lighter, mm-hmm. more sort of a, a, a bleach, yeah. blonde look, really settling in nicely. And he is not getting his hair cut until the 7th. So That's we, tremendous. We, we need to get him on the weeks. show. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, thoughts and prayers to him walking around looking like uh, it's 1998. He was the uh, general manager of a fantasy team that included Lamar Jackson, so he really earned these tips. Oh, he earned them the hard the way. League, let's get to uh, let's get some football stuff for the big game Sunday. I mean, we only have one football game to talk about anymore, and then we'll I don't know what we're going to talk about after that on Greenlight. Um, we have some uh, quick hitters here. Let's not forget the uh, Super Bowl is this weekend. We have done a, almost an entire pod without Super Bowl trademark. Copyright. Yeah. I just, this time of year, I don't want to be a downer, but the Super Bowl for me is kind of like the um, the NCAA final or the championship game. I'm a volume guy. So, Super Bowl is great, but, you know, I'm not, I think the, the season ended effectively for me a week or two ago. Is that is that just awful to say? No. I think Super Bowl ranks probably, golly, is it the worst of the playoff weeks? Yeah, it is. I think it is. I mean, unless you're a fan of Kansas City or San Francisco. Right. That that having been said, this is going to be a great game. We enjoyed the NCAA final last year, for example. We did. I mean, uh, for example, if you were a Virginia Cavaliers fan, you love that. Um, you love to see it. Now, this this game is shaping up to be a classic. I have really had a hard time, time pinning down who I think is going to win. Um, I, there is one number that I'm becoming increasing, increasingly passionate about, and that's the uh, the total, which has climbed to 55 and i think you should keep an eye on that and if it continues under under you're on the under too huh well i don't gamble if you were a gambler yeah i got a score and everything if you want it give it to me off the top here niners niners 24 niners (laughs) (laughs) you got one job 29 24 niners that'd be good for my wallet because i uh especially if this thing uh ticks up to 56 57 i'm on it um you know, trends here, Mahomes and Jimmy G, it's the biggest deficit of touchdown passes throughout the playoffs in Super Bowl history. That's not a shocker, 8-1. to one. Uh, And Mahomes has had more second quarter yards than Jimmy does uh, in one full game in the playoffs. So, yeah, uh, Mahomes has um, been dominant, and Jimmy G has been more of a manager, but everything about this game otherwise feels like it might uh, – tilt to the Niners if if I'm looking at it um now there's one big trend that that 
I was looking at that you'll like here. This is the most important trend probably in the game. 13 of the last 15 Super Bowls have been won by teams wearing white. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on that. Who are some home teams? Who are, does that include? The Pats lost, uh, or we, we beat the Pats in green. Um, I can't remember who else it was, but uh, in the last 15 years, the team wearing white has been dominant, and that bodes well for the, uh, the Niners. I know how uh, inclined you are to talk about uniforms. You can see that white clear amid the patina of mm. the Super Bowl crowd. That's nice. I like it. I found myself getting confused a lot this week. It's just so much red. Um, but a real trend that actually might matter is the number one pass defense in Super Bowls are um, nine and four, um, allowing 19 of 24, uh, or 19 touchdowns, 24 interceptions, uh, and, and a 70 QBR combined. So number one pass defense, that's San Francisco. That bodes well for them. Again, 19 touchdowns, 24 interceptions when a quarterback sees the number one passing defense in the Super Bowl. And Sherman, by the way, and I think uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on is who has a better game between Sherman and uh, Honey Badger because those are two guys that have just um, changed the game for these defenses. Obviously, more recently with the Honey Badger getting there in free agency uh, in the last year, but Sherman's giving up a passer rating of 41 in the playoffs. It's the lowest. Uh, in the playoffs since 06. Uh, that is going to be one thing that uh, that's going to make you nervous if you are um, a Pat Mahomes fan. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. Here's, a, here's my Russ Cole trend, my Russ Cole storyline here. So brace yourself, because some of these don't go great. Braced. Uh, Erie 1994 comparison. 94, of course, was the year that um, the Niners won with Steve Young, Jerry Rice over the Chargers. Down in Miami. Can somebody get this monkey off my back? Come on. Oh, yeah, that's the Steve Young thing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shanahan and Shanahan were running Niners offenses. If people forget. Um, Mike Shanahan was the OC in San Francisco. Now his son Kyle is calling the plays as well. He's obviously the head coach. But uh, both quarterbacks, he got in a trade. Uh, Steve Young and Garoppolo. Both signed free agencies uh, or signed free agents um, leading up. Two big pieces defensively: Ken Norton Jr., Dion, and you got a linebacker in a corner with San Francisco as well, and Quan Alexander and Richard Sherman. Uh, so both are playing AFC West champs. Both in Miami. I mentioned that before, and uh, both Steve Young and Jimmy G sat behind uh, Hall of Famers and are two of four to win one as backups and appear again. So, playing. Mm. So there's a lot, if you believe in that shit. Eerie. Very eerie. I mean, is that weird or what? Or is that a stretch? Well, I, uh, I think you can find things like this in- In almost any game. In most games, but this might be more than this usual. This is more than usual, uh, which, which uh, you know, along with the, you know, the, the insignificance of the passing defense stat, that's obviously much more significant. But um, the last note before we get into some keys to the game, Joe Buck right. and the Fox team. I think Joe Buck does a tremendous job. What say you? It's it's difficult for me because Joe is a close personal friend. We oh. spent a lot of time together after one of your Super Bowls. That's true. We ended up at the bar with uh, Joe. 
and we actually talked some uh, some broadcasting shop. Yeah, and uh, I like the guy. And you weren't too drunk that night. No, not at no, all. No, you weren't at all. There were some people in our group that were pretty shit canned. Yeah, breaking tables and such. Uh, <laughs> no, I love uh, I love Joe Buck. Joe Buck. What is it with people that uh, people just seem to have this issue with him? Although he keeps getting the jobs and keeps getting the big games. Him and Troy, I think. They're a nice balance. I think Joe lets plays breathe, and I like that. I posted um, a video the other day on my Instagram of uh, the Case Keenum play in the NFC Championship two years ago with the Patrick Robinson pick six. And, you know, I had a few people in my mentions that are like, Joe's always hated the Eagles. He hates our fucking team. I can't stand Joe. Is that just, it just comes with the territory of being an announcer? Absolutely. But it feels like with Joe, it's, it's, it's more. Is it the uh, perceived nepotism with Jack? Is it, is it the baseball thing? You've got these crossover baseball fans that hate the Cardinals and the Cardinals fans. I get that. Um, that it is a, yeah. a high and mighty bunch uh, in the Gateway City. Joe's aware of this. That uh, people... by, by that, I mean the baseball fans in the Gateway City. I mean, like I, the Cardinals are undeniably awesome, but I can see if you're a baseball fan, you could get tired of the Cardinals uh, in, in baseball. It's like the Cowboys or anything else in, in football. Joe's aware that he is, he does not have 100% approval rating. And I think that is helping him gain more fans. But when he talks about it, he says that he comes across as arrogant when he's not, he's not even haughty when he's not. And, um, that's, that's something, uh, who cares? He's great at what he does. Patrick Robinson going the other way. And then it was like, needs a block, gets one. And then he's in the end zone, like, let the play breathe. Yeah. What do people want you to do? You want him to go Gus Johnson? I mean, maybe when he said Randy Moss fake mooning was the most disgusting. That act. was ridiculous. And Joe, if, if I saw Joe now, and I talk to Joe every now and again, I would tell him that was ridiculous. And but he knows that. He knows, he it knows now. that was he ridiculous. Had it, but he's self-aware. Yes. He lets the play breathe. Um, and I think he's, he's pretty damn good at his job. I know he works hard. So I'm, I think this is, uh, you know, as far as, you know, play-by-play, play, he's up there for me. I've, I've said it before, color analysts. Um, you know, you've got Tony, who I really like. But I am going to enjoy, and I won't be listening, Joe, because I'll be at the game. But I, I think Joe Buck's awesome. And I just wanted your take on that. Yep, I agree. But we might be in the minority. I think we might be. And I think we'll hear about it in the comments, maybe. Well, Let's make that minority a majority. Yeah, well, there's Get always the like live watches you could watch, but not ours this weekend, unfortunately. True. Daddy's got to go uh, make some money here. Hey, how about some quick hitters I have for you? Yeah, sure. I'd love to quickly hit them. Super Bowl live in Miami. Mm-hmm. Experience, doesn't matter. Okay, so it's funny. Uh, in my playing experience, you know, being with the Patriots and with the Eagles in deep playoff runs, I had no playoff experience. So, uh, but I was also a veteran. So, I think this is a a conversation that people get wrong a lot. Look back at the playoffs the last few decades and look back. Playoffs. Playoffs. Oh, yours was better. Was it Duh. playoffs? Thought no, first one. Oh, really? Yeah. Sorry. Look back at the playoffs the last few decades. Look back at Super Bowls, and I didn't do any extended study on this, and I might. Who made the big plays? I don't think there's like a common thread of guys that have been in the Super Bowl a bunch or, you know, listen, at quarterback, it certainly matters and coaching, it matters. But um, you could also say Andy Reid's got more wins and more playoff appearances than anybody without a Super Bowl. So 
if his experience mattered, he'd have won a Super Bowl by now. Um, I think that, you know, if you look at these two teams, I also say this, when, when, and I've talked about this at length, don't chase plays in the playoffs. And even experienced guys can chase plays. You know, a, a guy that just does his job, fresh out of college, um, you know, could be his first playoff experience, he could be a seven, eight year vet like I was, just focus on doing your job and letting the plays come to you. I think the biggest hurdle for players, experienced or not, in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl, is thinking, I am owed this moment, I've worked my ass off my entire life, my story is really important and I need to dot the I here with this. Like, when you're a kid on a basketball court or on a field and you're doing the whole slow motion thing where you whisper to yourself and hit a half court shot and do the play-by-play, Joe Buck, play-by-play in your own ear, it's funny, kids are never like, ah, and he executes the block, you know, like, or, and he secures the football high and tight, like, or, and he doesn't bite on the, uh, you know, on the comeback. Like, it's just, those are the things that win football games, and those are the things that win Super Bowls alike, and, you know, everybody's trying to hit that spectacular shot or, or make that big play as they're running through in their head, and every player did that growing up, so when you get there, you're like, well, when's my moment? Like, I fucking am owed a moment. I say this all the time. Patriots, Super Bowl, you know, we can get to that later, but I, um, I, I was in my mind, like on the edge of pressing, and I didn't know what my play would be. It turned out to be a, a holding penalty. I wish, it, I'll always wish it was a force fumble, a sack force fumble. But if it helped the team win, that was my play. You know, like, that's it, and it's okay. And uh, I think most players chase plays. Now, when you look at the Niners, and, and that's experienced players and inexperienced players alike, vets, rookies. When you look at the Niners, they, they, you think about them as upstart, right? You think about the Chiefs as having built this thing up for a longer time because Reed's been there. But uh, they got, the Niners have more Super Bowl experience. They really do. Um, and the Chiefs have been building a while, but seven players with experience to two on, uh, on the, uh, the Chiefs. So, and that includes Jimmy G, of course, who, who's appeared in Super Bowls, but Richard Sherman's played in as many Super Bowls as the entire Chiefs roster combined. Mm. That's Wisniewski and Suggs, that's it. And like I said, Reed has the most wins and playoff wins uh, without a Super Bowl win. You would think that that would, and maybe it will Sunday, equate to a, a Super Bowl championship a lot earlier if it was all about experience. So I'm not sure it does. It, it, execution matters. Um, and if you are checking on experience Sunday, you'd be surprised to know that the Niners actually have more of it. Talk to me about big plays. Well, big plays are going to be, I mean, you look at these two teams, it's kind of been a, a staple of what they do, uh, whether it's big runs for San Francisco or on both sides of it, chucking the deep ball, and in different ways, though. Okay, first off, if you're Kansas City, everybody's talking about stopping the run, okay? So you load the box. Well, I'm worried about something over the top of us in the pass game. I think you have to worry just as much about the big run plays. You load the box, one missed tackle could be house call. And especially with the speed that these guys have out of the backfield, it could be over. Um, so I think you have to be, if you're going to load the box, you have to be really gap sound and you have to make tackles, okay? If you're the Chiefs. And it can be tricky. Also, the Niners still run for like three and a half yards of carry uh, against loaded boxes, which is not bad and they have the third most yards passing, so Jimmy G's done a good job there. Now, on the other side of it, in the pass game, for both teams, they both, Jimmy and, um, and Pat, throw the ball deep really well. Now, 
Jimmy G, the, the sample size is smaller. Um, the rates are way different. Mahomes is 12% deep shots to Jimmy's 6%. And Jimmy's is the lowest in the NFL. But they rank one and two, and Jimmy's actually number one in deep ball completion percentage. So with Shanahan and Jimmy, they pick their spots well. They hit them when they're there. Mahomes, he's going to take a lot of shots deep. And he has way more touchdowns too. Listen, if it came down to one guy throwing a deep ball, uh, I'm, I, I like Pat more than Jimmy, but you know his completion percentage on deep balls is higher. To be fair, both teams get the most separation out of anybody in the league, pretty much um, on deep balls. I think their receivers average about two and a half yards separation, uh, and and that's that's a lot. Uh, so I think here's the difference: though. the Niners and the Chiefs have respectively allowed two and three um, when it comes to lowest completion percentage of deep balls this year. So that's the difference for me. I think everybody's gonna look at the pass game, but both these teams do a really good job of that. Um, I'm looking at more the tackling underneath. Um, you know, Tyreek on a crosser breaking tackles, uh, you know, or a big run by Brita if the box is loaded. I think both teams do a good job. The, the statistics back it up. Um, and that's why I think this game could be kind of low scoring. Both teams are gonna have to drive the field. How do these two teams use play action? Glad you asked. They do. A lot. Differently? Differently. Uh, yeah, so I guess the biggest thing would be uh, one's going to, I mean, San Francisco quite obviously is going gonna, is gonna to use play action um, on stretch run action. Zone, zone run action off tackle. Uh, they do that more than anybody. Um, outside zone, they average five yards a carry on their outside zone stuff. So if you can disrupt that outside zone, and I've talked about this at length, uh, and that takes penetration, that takes interior penetration, as much as it takes you know, a firm edge being set, whether that's your six technique, God, I hope you don't run a six, Steve Spagnola, I might text you later and tell you not to run a fucking six, trust me. Uh, or if you run a nine uh, and the end is setting the edge, like the three tech is just as much a part of disrupting the outside zone. So if they can do that, then you 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 take away that that effectiveness of the play action. Uh, they used outside zone on 34% of their runs this year, and that felt low when I saw that. And the Chiefs use 75% of their dropbacks or or out of shotgun uh, play action. So, I mean, you're looking at one team outside zone. Uh, that's how they're getting the play action. One team is going to be in the shotgun, and you know, I guess Pat does, they do it just enough to slow you down. You know, with, with I think when San Francisco does it, it's, it's a fear thing. It's like, we have to stop the run. We're, we're selling out to stop the run. With Pat, it's, it's just that hiccup. You know, it's, he's holding that mesh a little long and a second level defender might be slower uh, to get to his spot or find his man. And, uh, and those fractions of time become really, uh, become really big. What is the biggest worry for Kansas City? I mean, besides stopping the run, I think it's starting fast. Uh, you watch their games. It, you know, they've gotten really good at coming from behind, but that's not what you want to be. I mean, San Francisco is not a team. I think you want to say starting slow. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said starting fast. Yeah, 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 starting fast. Okay, start over. That's a, that's a goal, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is the biggest worry for Kansas City? I think uh, it's it's not starting slow. I mean, starting slow is the worry. You have to start fast. I mean, that has been something they've kind of gotten used to over the last two 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 games. 
where they're like um, this team through the second through fourth quarters that you know come out like gangbusters. The first first quarter they've been terrible. Um, they've scored eighty six points this postseason. That's the second highest ever in the Super Bowl era from an average standpoint. All the other four or, or all the other in the top four um, won the Super Bowl. So that included the nineteen ninety four Niners. But they've done this without any productive first quarters. Uh, they've been a minus 24 point differential in first quarters uh, against Houston and against Tennessee. And uh, and then two through four, they're plus 55. So I think, you know, that's even more important this week because you're playing a team that if they're up, they'll put the Darth Vader death grip on you. Like, they will choke you out. Uh, they're front four. And, you know, that's a good way to get pressure on Mahomes. Um, the run game, that's a good way to attack Kansas City's defense. If they get down in the first quarter, like, like they did against Tennessee and Houston, this is a different game. Another thing is, you can't play catch-up against the number one pass defense. I don't care who you are. They just got done whipping two bottom third pass defenses. And they didn't trail in either of those games Yeah, at any point. Yep. What's keeping the defensive coordinators up at night this week? The D is up at all hours of the night. This thing, just thinking about pre-snap. The D is, the D does not rest this week. The D cannot rest. All hours of the night, these coordinators. Pre-snap can be just as. There's, a, there's nothing wrong with your audio. Macon just doesn't like dick jokes because he's a real estate agent. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, I'm pretty sure some of the people that buy your houses are okay with, with, with this kind of humor. I mean, I, I, I bought a house from you. Thanks. Yeah, this, did, I'm playing a, a character okay. This is not my real life. Um, so I think D coordinators are up at night because, you know, coaches don't sleep anyways. But a lot of pre-snap stuff, okay? Real talk, Pre, pre-snap, uh, these two teams put a lot of window dressing on everything. And by that, I mean things that slow down. Rushers, you know, you want to play firm, you want to set the edge. You've got jet, jet motion stuff going on. You have shifts, you have motion. Uh, and by the way, San Francisco and Kansas City are one and two in wide receiver alignment in the backfield this year. So all these things are things that coordinators feel like they have to get everything. If you play football, you know coordinators are very paranoid. If something's on tape, Forget about if it's used um, all the time. Just one wide receiver alignment in the backfield, and you know we're going to be, hey, you know that's a big key. We gotta we gotta make this check, this adjustment, so it adds another layer of uh, of, of pre snap. And guys, it's one less thing that you can line up and just play. I mean, when we played the Patriots, you know Jim Schwartz's defense is is pretty simple. Um, it relies on the players to make plays, and uh, that was actually a blessing. Although they lit us up a little bit. We all played fast. Shanahan also used a ton of shifts in motion in his offense. He led the league at that rate the last four years. So he's increased his shift in motion rate 5% each year over the past four years. That's a lot. And that's, uh, I think he's at 78% of plays this year, over 70%. Uh, Reed, uh, he was below average using shifts in motions uh, until Mahomes came along. I mean, when Alex Smith was there, it wasn't a lot of window dressing. Now it's a ton of it. He's been top five ever since. You know, the Niners seem to do it, and they do do it, to strengthen the run game. They actually are pretty pedestrian 
running the football when they can't use shifts in motion. Like three and a half a carry, it's like last in the league. Uh, Niners are 5.3 a carry when they use shifts in motion. So uh, Kansas City, that's a bad combo for them. They allow five and a half almost a pop uh, in the run game on sh- on motion plays. So that's something you got to keep an eye on. I think Spags is going to be thinking about that. But on the other end of things, it's interesting to note that San Francisco does it to get in the run game and kick ass and slow people down instead of playing fast. Um, you're worried about you know all that window dressing. And, and then Kansas City, I feel like, uses a lot to create mismatches in the pass game. So it's kind of true to you know the strengths of these teams. NFL 2K, Kittle and Kelsey. Oh, I like that. Thanks. Yeah. Two 1,000-yard tight ends. <laughs> oh, that was like one of those. Yeah, I like that. Let me think about what the fuck he means. Uh, okay. Yeah, two 1,000-yard two tight ends. The first time that's ever happened. Um, you know, obviously, take your pick. Who you like? Who would you have on your team? Ah, uh, Kittle. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably just just because he's doing the blocking stuff. I mean, yep. Kelsey is electric with the ball in his hands. Actually, he's been the most productive tight end in the playoffs the last half decade, and that included like Gronk and everything. So uh, Niners allowed like 550 yards to tight ends, which is the fewest in the NFL. So that's something you got to feel good about if you're a Niners fan. The Chiefs allow the fifth most to tight ends in the league at almost 1,000 yards. Um, so how do you defend Kittle? You know, um, I think that plays in the run game. Um, there's something you can do that will help the run in the pass game. And as you watch him dominate defensive ends through the playoffs, it has been guys lined up, head up on him. I know you watched the Green Bay game. They showed you a lot of replays and told you, hey, he's dominating Zadarius Smith, whatever. He really wasn't. I mean, Z is a physical dude in the run game. Kittle is the best at blocking. He is a hell of a player. But that was not the ass kicking he was giving to uh, Everson Griffin and Hunter the week before. Those guys were head up in six techniques. Now the guys in Green Bay were in nine techniques, which means they're outside eye of the tight end, getting up the field, setting an edge three yards in the backfield. The problem with with the Packers is they play on different levels. So the interior guys do not get penetration. The outside guys, they get three yards deep in the backfield, which is what you want. Now, Steve Spagnola played in his defense. He's gonna have you in the frog stance like the Vikings, playing six eye, head up. Um, head up on the tight end, which means you have the C gap, which is the inside gap uh, inside the tight end, and then you help out. You're like the vice tackle player on something outside that bounces outside. A lot of times you look at it and you're like, well, the defensive end's not setting the edge. Well, the defensive end is in a six technique. It's not The D gap is not his, his gap. He's there to help. Here's what you can do. It's really hard playing that technique. Just bump your defensive end out to a nine. Now what that'll do is that'll make things easier on the coverage players. You could jam Kittle at the line as you set the edge. It affects his release. It makes things simpler on the second level guys because they know his release can't be outside. It's only inside. So that very thing can help stifle Kittle's production. He hasn't been productive in the playoffs because he hadn't had to be. I mean, you know, tw- less than 20 yards both games, which is crazy. You haven't even had to use your best player. Uh, but when he needs a player or a play this weekend, it's going to be Kittle. And you can do some things in the run game that can help. Um, now, the Chiefs have only allowed uh, one 100-yard rusher since week 10. Before that, five of them. So they've been better, but this is a different animal. 
Um, and Jimmy G's good against stacked boxes. 10 yards per attempt, third most in yards. So you got to figure something out. I think it starts with moving your defensive ends outside. That'll disrupt the most important tight end in this game. Chris. Yes, Macon. What is the D Ford effect? The D Ford effect is uh, I think he's one of the most under radar guy under the radar guys in this game. I think all year we have rightfully given Joey uh, Bosa a lot of of credit. I mean, I've, I haven't seen a rookie that complete at defensive end in quite a while, maybe since his brother. Um, D Ford is a guy who bounced around, and obviously one of the smaller storylines uh, was him being tra- traded from Kansas City to um, to San Francisco after he lined up in the neutral zone and effectively cost the team the game. Um, he's got a chance to be redemptive uh, and make some big plays this Sunday. All he's done all year has made them better. Um, I think his rush lanes are huge. We talked about this. He's going to be rushing in the left end. Mitchell Schwartz, your best offensive lineman for Kansas City and your best edge rusher for uh, San Francisco and D Ford. And it's not a great matchup for D. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, he's going to set back. You're going to have to get in his body, engage him, and then pull him by. So, like, for people listening, like, you go to power rush a guy to, to dumb it down. You, you go to power rush a guy, bull rush him, put your face in, face in his chest, and then as he leans, that's the one thing that Mitchell does. He'll lean and get top heavy, and you can drop him. But the thing you have to be careful about with Pat Mahomes is his depth of his drop target. He will drift back. If you watch games, he drifts back. So you think that makes it easier on a pass rusher. It does but you can't win with just straight speed because he'll see that big B gap, step up and do what he did to the Titans before the half. D Ford, he boosts the pressure rate to 34% when he's on the field. When he's off the field, it's like 22. So a big difference. The sack rate, it's even more glaring. 15% with him on the field, 5% with him off. Bosa's pressure rate is half of what it is with him off the field. So uh, with, with him on the field, when he's off the field. So for two straight years, D Ford, he's been on a leading sack team in the NFL now. And it's more than a coincidence. He's a really good player, but he's got a really big challenge and a bad matchup for him this weekend and that you can't just use speed against Mitchell Schwartz and you got to play with one eye on Mahomes. You can't give him that B gap. And then being on Mahomes' ball hand side and his vision side, you can't let Mahomes drift back and then take shots, you know, rolling to his right comfortably. So it's a tough job for him. Honestly, from a matchup standpoint, I would like to see Bosa on Mitchell Schwartz. I think that's a better matchup. Put D Ford on the right. I don't think that's going to happen because guys are particular about that, uh, where D Ford can rush with speed and attack the uh, the blind side, where Pat's not going to see him at 11 yards and skate out the backside through the through the B gap. You know, put him over there. That'd be better for the rush lanes. This is good stuff, and I have a legitimate question. Yeah, is everybody in the NFL this? knowledgeable yes is this what this is why you go to work every day to know your opponent know the matchup know yes how far the opposing quarterback is dropping etc well they like you're getting ready to rush Mahomes, and somebody asked me like what's um what's it like rushing Mahomes? what what's his mobility do it's not really the fact that he's like a burner he's not like this guy runs a four five he's he, he he's got that far thing and that that's who he was compared to and he's really perceptive about the holes in your rush lanes you know he's gonna drift to get vision by time um but i think he's gonna have to to be very wary of the interior rushers this week i've said this a lot the edge guys are great 
but the interior guys in San Francisco have been making it go and people have been eating off them and their penetration. So I think the biggest matchup that the Niners have to win are their interior uh, players against Kansas City's interior O-linemen. And if they take advantage of that, those edge guys could have a big day. But what D Ford can't do is just try to run the hump. 12 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards. If you do that, you're going to give them that big B-gap step up. Now, one thing I would think might work for them on that left side, if you do keep D Ford over there, is run a TE, a text, a tackle up the field, you know, D Ford get to eight yards, play tag with the tackle, come underneath because they are susceptible to that in Kansas City. You didn't answer my question. You just gave me more good stuff. Yeah, I, I uh, it, oh, Are, the question was, does everybody know this stuff? No, not not every D lineman, but I, I'm no expert on the back end. I mean, I know stuff on the back end, but I know what I know about pass rush and rush lanes and that sort of thing because I've seen a lot of different quarterbacks. I came in a league when quarterbacks were kind of one way. You know, you had your outliers, like a Mike Vick or something who's very athletic, but, you know, when I left the league, you were playing a Deshaun Watson-type guy every other week. I just think the perception is, football player you go run into somebody as hard as you possibly can and you're telling me you have eight different things in your mind pre-snap yes what you could potentially do and there's a ton of games i mean like for instance you know some teams have uh, armbands where you see d lineman with armbands i used to hate that because that means the coaches are calling the games and then like you know you get in a situation where you just you know if i know i just stabbed somebody's outside shoulder and they they felt the power I know next play this is the, the the right time for me to to go stab spin or you know uh, flash to speed, and then I get a you know the 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 play caller on defense sees a signal he's like oh we got to run a mixer which is a te and et tackle first end around and then on the other side end inside tackle around that can be like pretty fucking annoying so I think that every D line is going to have at least one veteran guy who understands rushing and the rush lanes not every young guy gets it. But when you look at this group, you've got Bosa, who just came in the league, Buckner, who's younger, interior guy, Armstead, younger, interior guy, and D. Ford is kind of your veteran, right? D. Ford has to have a good game, but he's got to have a smart game. How do you pressure Patrick Mahomes? The way I would play him, like I said, is I would put Bosa, I'd have your power guy on the left. Um, you, you could run fish hooks, which is... Um, you take a guy on the left side and you say, if Joey Bose is over there on the left, now I used to rush on the left because you got more of the power rusher over on that side. Nick. Uh, yeah, Nick Bosa, sorry. Kyle Long, Chris Long. It's Kyle Long Jake. with the green light, Jake yeah. Long. So you get uh, Nick Bosa over there at the left uh, end. You say, hey, you go right down Mitchell Schwartz's shit. You, you put your helmet on his inside shoulder pad. And don't get washed. Because that's a key. If, you, if you're going to rush somebody's inside shoulder, you got to bury your head, you got to lift them, and then you have to stay balanced. Because you know, a lot of times if you power somebody's inside shoulder, they're just going to run you inside like a drive block and you just get washed. But the point of that is, to affect Pat Mahomes' vision, he's going to see either an inside move by Nick on the left or a power rush on, on Mitchell Schwartz's inside shoulder. And what's D4 doing on the backside? Running the hump. 9, 10, 11 yards. Don't care if you get high. Just be there to chase Pat down because the minute Pat sees uh, Nick puncture the pocket, he's going to take off and roll right to get out of that trash. And what you have in a fish hook is you have an inside guy and somebody running the hump. And we used to run it in, in St. Louis where um, 
I would be the power guy, Rob would be the, the blind side speed guy. And then we'd run it in Philly a lot, different sides. So that's how I would rush him. I would rush, I'd, I'd always have a, a, a ball hand power guy. And if I am gonna run speed, I need to be very wary of that B gap, which means if I'm gonna run the hump like D Ford likes to do, I need to tell my guy inside to play with more balance and definitely don't take an inside move. Because if he takes an inside move at tackle, think about this now, inside move at tackle, D Ford running 12 yards at, at, on a hump and you know drop targets eight to 10 yards, that B gap is massive and he'll do what he did against Tennessee. And that was a backbreaker. So schematically, um, you know, I, I, I don't think you blitz him. You know, I, you know, rush lane wise, that's all great. I don't think you blitz him. And San Francisco's not a blitzing type team. They can get pressure with four. So it's a great matchup for them because Mahomes is, um, I think he's 23 touchdowns, one interceptions, uh, one interception, singular. That's amazing to me. Um, when he's facing five rushers or more. So when teams are bringing pressure, he's, he's accurate with it. Um, and his passer rating is 116 uh, versus, uh, versus you know, blitz and versus a four-man rush. He's 64 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. So, I mean, definitely not as surprisingly, he's, he's, better, he's better against the blitz than he is against four-man. I think part of that is because he feels comfortable and he gets greedy. He's actually 16 of his 17 interceptions have come against seven coverage guys. Three interceptions, uh, three times the rate, uh, you know, when he's seeing four-man rushes uh, as he is when he's seeing uh, blitz, and that's counterintuitive. So San Francisco has the, the highest non, uh, non-blitz pressure rate in the league. It's a good matchup for them. Look at the Titans game last week. They pressured him like 12 times. Um, 10 of the 12 were four-man, and... Um, out of those 10, I think he was three of 10 for like nine yards and two sacks. So that's a good, that's what really keeps me up, up at night if I'm a Kansas City fan, is thinking about how he's gonna deal with not seeing heat and a big v- vacated space that he can buy time and just hit. He's gonna have to throw in this sea of, of, of jerseys um, and find the tight windows. All right, so draft time. Uh, I had to take the, uh, the the jacket off. I'm overheating in here thinking about this big draft. We have to draft the defensive field uh, Sunday, uh, the pool being any defensive players playing in the game Sunday. We did uh, the offenses uh, last podcast. I'll read my team and, and, and what it turned. This is, this is a good team here. It's a snake draft we did, uh, and we will continue to do. Uh, Macon drew the first pick offensively so of course he took pat mahomes then i had two picks and with those two picks i took uh, george kittle and travis kelsey savage savage move uh then at wide receiver i have debo samuel and kendrick Bourne. i snagged him late don't know what he's gonna do but we're gonna do something with him ben garland at center uh ldt at guard uh, along with uh, wiley and then at tackle i have mitchell schwartz and eric fisher Tevin Coleman, a healthy Tevin Coleman at running back, and Jimmy G. I picked him last because uh, I knew that you know the rule is you can't get two quarterbacks, and Macon had taken one with the first pick. Macon, what's your team look like? My old line goes Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, Stefan Wisniewski, Lake and Tomlinson, Austin Ryder, or perhaps Reader, probably Ryder. You said I went Mahomes at one. I did indeed. His weapons are Mostert, Tyreek Hill, Emmanuel Sanders, Sammy Watkins, and Kyle Usechek yeah. at H back. Yeah. So I, I so I have a um I ha- I have a conundrum here. You're a team that's built for speed here. Yeah, how should I defend two tight ends? 
How are you going to use your two tight ends? I, I got a litany of ways that I could uh, use them. No, a litany? A litany, bro. Damn. <laughs> a fucking litany. I am. In, in, I, after all that knowledge you just dropped, I am a bit intimidated about this D draft. <laughs> Don't be intimidated. Anyways, but I mean, uh, it's not just Kittle and Kelsey. I, I've got Debo. Uh, not worried about best Debo. Com- complete wide receiver on the field Sunday. So uh, also, my 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 O line is more physical. You seem to be a finesse team, a speed finesse team. Uh, why my, don't my team is way better at this point? To okay, be clear. Okay. Other, other the, than Pat Mahomes, but uh, the door is open for you to make up some ground. So it is. Uh, I get first pick, eh? You do, yeah, because you got it uh, with. Uh, can I defer? No. Oh, you, you want me to have first pick? Yes, I do. In that case, I'm going to take the best defensive player on the field Sunday, um, and that guy. I know that you, I'm a lineman. Okay, so I'm. Maybe he's not the highest graded on Pro Football Focus, but the guy that scares everybody is Chris Jones. I'm going to take him with one. Okay. Fine pick. Oh, thanks. I'm going to take... No no, no draft uh, alert noise this week? Ding, diddling, ding, ding. I can't even... Oh, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Can't even do so it. who do you so who who do you got, bro? I'll work on you. Work on the thing while I make my next brilliant pick. Okay. Well, I uh, I'm going to draft two people. Yeah. Snake draft. I'm going to draft Richard Sherman. <laughs> He's awesome. But uh, can he cover George Kittle or Travis Kelsey? And Tyron Matthew. That's terrific. I see what we're doing here. Ooh, that's not what I was after. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Team making. So now, so now I get so now I get one I get one uh as you fumble with your iPhone 4. I get one um I get one pick and then you get two again? You get two, bro. Oh, I get your two. First yeah, draft. snake draft. No. Well, you yeah, I, Listen, you look at my offensive team that we're fielding here. It's obviously not my first draft. I get two here. Okay, first and foremost, the only thing I really have to worry about with you is, is shutting down Tyreek Hill. Uh, I don't know that anybody. Yeah, I don't know that anybody truly can shut down Tyreek Hill. You took. Uh, I'm going to take Ward. No, 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 no. I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to take Williams because I need a good nickel here. Um, so I'll take Williams, and then I'm going to take an edge guy. Uh, I am going to take, and this is going to shock some people. Be true to you. Don't try to be true to pro football focus. No, I'm not. You know what I'm going to do? Because you have one pick next. No, two from here on out until you finish with one. (laughs) Okay, I'm having trouble with the snake draft here. sounded so smart just a few minutes ago. Five minutes ago, but it's things like this that uh, I struggle with. I will take, uh, golly, this is tough. Okay. I'll take Ward and um, you just took Kwan Williams. No, Williams and um, golly, this is a disaster. Well, the only thing you can really run is stretch with with Mostert and your offense not being very physical. Um, I'm gonna take Armstead. Yeah, it's a shocker there, but I, I've got I've got two D tackles that you have to contend with here, and there's so many edge guys. I'm gonna be able to snag one no matter what. 
That leaves the door open for me to take Nick Bosa. And I'm going to pair him with Quan Alexander. Wow, that's a really good pick. I like that. Thank you. <sighs> Linebackers are not going to be our strong suit. Oh, you know what, though? I, I do love uh, Fred Warner. I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and snag. Oh, there's two edge guys left here. I tip my hat. My my. What? You're wearing one. Yeah. <laughs> tip it. I'll tip it right here. Um, I'll take. Um, this is why you need a big board. Did you take Fred Warner there, or you were just loving on him? I'm loving on Fred Warner. Okay. You know what I'll I'll do? I'll go. Uh, take your time. Two I know they're gonna podcasts. they're gonna edit this out anyways. Um. You've got Bosa. He's off the board. I like Frank Clark. Mm, and mm -hmm. uh, Frank Clark and Warner. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. That means I am going to take... Wow. That guy's still there. Wow, okay. Oh, goodness. I have a decision here. Don't you? Um, I'm going to take Jimmy Ward, who is still there. He's a tremendous player. Your secondary is really shaping up nicely. And DeForest Buckner. Nice, okay. I suppose I need a corner. Uh, I'm going to take best available at corner, and that uh, that's probably Mosley. I would say so. So I, I'll probably take Mosley at corner. Uh, now I have uh, a nickel, a corner, and uh, man, I don't need any D-line depth. My D-line is, uh, is terrific. Uh I'm going to snag another corner here. Um, probably the next best corner is uh, is Fuller. Okay. I know he, I know, ugh. <laughs> Slim Pickens. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with, with, with Fuller. Um, seems to tackle well. Okay. We're going to need him to come down and make some tackles on your finesse run game. Okay, I'm going to sprint to the podium right here and take D Ford. Now, this is, there's no fatigue involved here, right? No, but you can't. What do you mean? Oh, I, I don't have two DNs yet. Damn it, I fucked that up. Con, you sort of do. No, I don't. Well, I need two edge guys. I fucked it up. Mm. Mm. That's a bad oversight. You hate to see it. It's a bad oversight. We I, we would have loved to have D Ford here. Um, Golly, what are we doing? This draft is shit. No, it's going it's going well. Oh my god. Four, five, six, seven. Okay. Um. Uh, hmm. I can't believe I just forgot. Fucking D Ford was on the board. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the crowd didn't let you forget. I will go 
because I gave Pro Football Focus $9.99 for a week subscription to get these player grades. I'll go Dorian O'Daniel, 79.8. Dorian O'Daniel, got and it. And Dre Greenlaw. Greenlaw, damn it. You're on the clock with two picks, Chris. Okay, so I guess I'll take... Uh... I'll take, uh, <laughs> I need some leadership and the guy that can set the edge, even at his age still. And, and here's the thing about Suggs. This is the, I'm going to take Suggs here. And this is a, a funny pick because everybody tell you he's washed. But for one Sunday, you load that guy up with Tordal and tell him to run <laughs> right down. Who's your right tackle? McGlinchey? Yep. Run right down his shit. And this is the thing. Four-man rush, we talked about earlier, is going to get Mahomes rattled. We're going to rush with power on the left side. We've got Suggs on the left side. We've got Frank Clark on the right side. Uh, and then I'm gonna, I need one more linebacker. Who's probably the best linebacker left? Be a friend here. Reggie Ragland. You think? Chiefs. Oh, Sorensen can move around. Can I'll take – I like Sorensen. Okay. Sorensen. Now, can you be a friend? Yeah. I've got three D linemen, three linebackers. Do I do I go like a uh do I go four three? Do I go three four? Do I go three three five? Three you have three D linemen. And three linebackers. And three linebackers. That's gonna be a, a and four in the secondary, but I have two picks right now. I just don't I just, I, I would I would play a four three against us. I really would. With your two tight ends? Yeah, I really would. And you're being serious? I just would. I mean, you will be judged. I'm, I'm not a 3-4 guy. You'll be judged. What would Al Groh say about that? I mean, Al Groh would not like that. But I, as a D lineman, I, I can't advise you to, to go with a 3-4. Because hmm. we're going to run it down your shit either way. But maybe even more so if you run a 3-4. Who are you running it down my S with? Tevin Coleman. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, in that case, I'm going to take Sheldon Day. <laughs> this is a disaster. How many players do I have to draft still? And Charvarius Ward. And you should be down to your final pick. Oh, I should be. So I've got two linebackers as it is. I have two corners. I have a nickel. Um, I have four D linemen. So I'm. I, it's really. I need a safety. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be in sub. Okay. Because we don't really respect your run game. Okay. Um, golly, who's a safety less left? I mean, we already. I mean, Sorensen is. I mean, Sorensen's right. He's kind of a tweener. I mean, I need a real li- a, a real linebacker. I'm gonna take um, Ragland. Yeah, that's the right pick. Yeah, you know what? I'll even fire up the old uh, machine for you. That's a good pick. Thank you. I appreciate it. We can go through the lineup right here. Do you have yours ready? Sure. Yeah. I have uh, Armstead and Jones at tackles. I have Frank Clark and and Sizzle at ends. I have uh, Ward as my nickel. 
I have Warner as a backer. I have Sorensen as kind of a swing player, can do both. Uh, Ragland as a linebacker. And I've got Mosley and Fuller as my corners. I am nervous about the corner position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I might be if I were you as well. I have Nick Bosa and D Ford on the outside. Uh, DeForest Buckner and Sheldon Day inside. Backers, O'Daniel, Dre Greenlaw, and Quan Alexander. The team's better. And in the secondary, Richard Sherman, Charvarius Ward, Jimmy Ward, and Tyron Matthew. Yeah, had a good draft. Damn, you just kicked my ass at the Thanks. defensive draft. Shout out to Kingston, Dan Derry. A lot of people have helped me get here. Shout out uh, Pro Football Focus. Yeah, I just kind of winged it. This is one of those things. I, I would like to... I would like to just throw it out there that my son had the flu this week. So, oh. you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of time. To, is he feeling better? He is. So shout out to Waylon. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to do, do big board stuff. So it's not an excuse, but it just kind of is what it is. Hey, well, that's why we, they go out there and play the games. You know, these two fake teams will, yeah. will run out there. You never and, know. I'm glad this is buried at the very end of the podcast. That's right. Nobody so will you, get this far. So if you stuck with us, uh, thank you, I think. Uh, and, I'm going to be headed to Miami. Uh, Macon will not be. I don't leave Charlottesville. He doesn't leave no. Charlottesville. So I will see you guys. Uh, you know, we'll, you'll hear me. We won't be doing YouTube later this week. We'll just be doing audio pod. Um, and I will be doing it down from Miami. We'll be having some fun guests on. Also look for interview with Tori Smith and some other of my friends uh, coming out on Chalk Network, recounting some Super Bowl experiences and stories uh, this week. And um, we'll see you later this week. Go uh, Super Bowl. Go Super Bowl. Y'all take care.